Radiotopia. Welcome to the Kitchen Sisters present PRX. We're the Kitchen Sisters, Davia Nelson and Nikki Silva. Hey there, I'm so excited to tell you about Radiotopia's newest show, The Recipe with Kenji and Deb. Kenji and Deb are two of the best home cooks alive. J. Kenji Lopez-Alt of The Food Lab and The Walk, and Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen. Two of my go-tos to make sure I'm getting the perfect recipe for everything from meatballs to muffins. They're pros who obsess over techniques and essential ingredients, so you learn everything you need to create your perfect recipe. You can finally be excited to eat what you make, and maybe even impress your friends and family. Help us welcome the newest show to the Radiotopia family. Find The Recipe with Kenji and Deb on your favorite podcast platform starting February 26th. The Kitchen Sisters Present is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I can remember right before I started going to McDonald 19, my aunt and I took a bus ride to Canal Street. We took a bus ride. She was paying the fare, and I sat down right behind the driver. And she said, oh, no, you can't sit there. And I asked her why, and she said, well, you don't understand now, but in a few weeks, you will. So I knew something was about to happen. Today on the Kitchen Sisters Present, we return to New Orleans, 1960, for the first day of school. I can remember it getting dressed, and a black car drove up, parked in front of the door. The household got real quiet. It was the U.S. Marshals coming. So my mother and I left, and they drove us to the school building. And she said, sit to the back of that seat and do not put your face out of that window. When we turned the corner, all I can see was crowds of people. Police on horseback. The only thing I could relate it to was a parade was coming. It looked like a Mardi Gras day. Why did we have to go to school on Mardi Gras? I didn't think it was a Mardi Gras. I was scared. All I could see is these crowds of people, and if they could get to me, I thought they was going to kill me. That morning when the marshal came to pick my daddy and I up, my mother was home. She was a nervous wreck. And she told the marshal, I'm giving you my baby. This is my baby. And he told her, he said, this is my job. And I'm going to take care of this baby. You don't have to worry about that. November 14th, 1960, Leona Tate, Tessie Prevost, Gail Etienne, and Ruby Bridges integrated the public schools here in New Orleans six years after Brown was decided. I'm Keith Plessy, a fourth-generation descendant of Homer Plessy, president and co-founder of the Plessy and Ferguson Foundation. Brown versus Board of Education was the landmark school desegregation case. There were many challenges in implementing that case. I'm Brenda Billups-Square, 
co-pastor of Beecher Memorial Congregational United Church of Christ. I'm an archivist preserving the history of black education. When it comes to implementing Brown versus Board of Education, New Orleans is chosen by the NAACP and a very courageous judge. Two schools were selected, William France and McDonough 19. When did you first begin to think about Leona going to school at McDonough? After we had got the application and she passed the test, well, that's what gave me the idea she was going. Um, how did you happen to make the application in the first place? Well, it was in the paper when I just called up and asked them to send me one. My mama filled out the application. They selected 145 families. They chose five families, but only four could participate. NAACP was working with our parents at that time. I'm Leona Tate, one of the six-year-old black girls that integrated the all-white public schools here in New Orleans, Louisiana. There was a lot of planning, a great deal of faith and courage for this to happen. The girls had to take a test. They had to make sure that they were going to be able to do the work. I can remember a lady and a man, both white, standing over me, and we were tested, psychologically tested, at the school board. It was mostly questions and answers, you know, so I must have talked my way right through that one, didn't I? <laughs> Do you think that she will get better schooling here? I think she will. I think she will. We are faced with either closing the schools or integrating the schools. I have fought with the greatest determination to preserve for the children of New Orleans and the state the segregation of the races because I honestly believe that only under such a system can we properly educate the children of both races. The city at that time did not welcome school integration. When the black girls enrolled in the schools, they each had their own marshal to protect them. Court ordered. I was a rookie in the marshal service it's when I was sent down to New Orleans, uh, and it was pretty scary. When we got to McDonough 19, the whole school campus was surrounded by New Orleans policemen. Some of them were on horses. The things that went on there were indescribable. I couldn't believe grown people would act the way they did about four girls going to school. One of the things that was in my mind is that I have two small children. I'll be damned if anybody's going to tell them they can't go to school. And that's the way I felt about it. Nobody had a right to tell these ladies that they could not go to school. We, as deputy marshals, if we didn't get the job done, we were going to set the whole movement back. God knows how many years. It just had to be done. The marshals escorted us up the steps. They didn't know what to do with us once we got in there. We sat there quite a few hours before we were placed in the classroom. There was a class of white children. Miss Meyer was, was teaching, and all of a sudden you see children disappearing. And the parents just started pulling the children out of school. Before you knew it, they were all gone. They were gone. For the year and a half, there was no one else but us and Miss Myers. Mrs. Tim, what do you think might happen eventually in this? Well, I don't know what's going to happen at all. I couldn't say on that. Legislature 
has urged white parents to resist integration. The uh, legislature took out paid advertisements in uh, New Orleans papers which urged the parents to boycott. They have not urged violence, but they have said resist integration, boycott the schools, and demonstrate peacefully. People were angry. There was so much hate. They had been taught that black people would somehow hurt their children. They were so devoted to separation that these little children were actually targets and their families were targets. My dad was a welder and a mechanic. He worked in St. Bernard Parish, which was highly racist. So my dad's name stayed out of the public for a long time. Nobody knew who he was. One legislator urged a lynch party for what he called integrationist white parents. Uh, two of his colleagues pointed out Everybody knows that this man is joking. He didn't really mean it. He didn't mean what he said. Probably in the legislature, people did not think he meant that people should be lynched in New Orleans. We were heavily guarded at night. All day, you know, the police were outside. We were confined. We couldn't play in the yard. We had to bring our own lunch. We couldn't eat from the cafeteria. I guess for safety reasons, I would think. We left McDonald 19 after second grade because McDonald 19 became a black school. It was all black there. The NAACP wanted to keep us in a white school, so they transferred us to Thomas J. Sims. It was total chaos. They were sent over to T.J. Sims, another school. But this time, the white children didn't leave. We went to Sims with a school full of students that didn't want us to be there. They used to beat us, kick us. They spit on us. I got hit in the stomach with a baseball bat. We were definitely afraid to go in the cafeteria. We were scared to use the bathroom alone. There were teachers that coerced the children to call us names. At recess time, we'd hide underneath a tree. That was our little protection. They endured a lot of violence, hostility from teachers who did not welcome them. They were civil rights pioneers at the age of six and seven and eight-year-olds. The way that integration system worked was it started with them at six years old in elementary school. Junior high and senior high were not integrated until they became aged to attend. They were the first to integrate every level of school in their age bracket. Integration progressed as we progressed the grade. Once we reached 10th grade, then they opened it up all the way. You can go to integrate. We were leaving junior high school in 69. We were going to senior high school to Francis Nichols. That was kind of rough. Even though it was a lot of black students at that school then, we had a Confederate flag. The mascot was rebel. That caused a lot of friction. They expected the blacks to support the rebel mascot, and they didn't want to do that. I can remember going to school one day and walking in the cafeteria, and chairs were being thrown, and it was in an uproar. The police were coming in the building on horseback, and the white and the blacks were fighting. You know, they didn't want the mascot to be changed. I asked Tessie, why didn't you ever talk about this? She said, I was finished with civil rights by the time I got to high school. I was done. They would complain to their parents at T.J. Sims, and... Gail said, her dad said, you know, he was with Martin Luther King. He said, don't fight back. You can't fight. You just got to pray. And he said, her dad would write letters, but nothing would be done. I didn't talk about it for years. 
And I'm thinking that I decided to break out when Barack got elected president. And I said, wow, we really must have did something. Gail Tess and I, we always talked about McDonough 19 and what was going because it had closed down the year before Katrina. It was already closed. When they allowed us to come to the lower nine ward, I, I said, let's go by the school. Let me see what it looks like. You can see the water just hit the bottom level, but it looked fine. And I said, well, something's got to be done there. After the inauguration, we got together and we put the foundation together. When they were going to auction McDonough 19, I contacted Leona Tate, one of those young ladies, and I said, let's go together to the school board. We have to let them know that these are civil rights institutions that cannot be just auctioned, just as our ancestors had been. At the Pleasant Ferguson Foundation, we are documenting and marking historic sites because there are very few markers of black history in New Orleans. My vision is to do a civil rights museum. New Orleans does not have a civil rights museum. So we're going to have our first civil rights museum in this building. Each generation has to impart the stories for the future generations so that our people will know who they are. Ruby Bridges, Gail, Tessie, and Leona were the four girls who integrated public education in the Deep South on November 19, 1960. They were chosen as foot soldiers on the front line. The Kitchen Sisters Present is produced by the Kitchen Sisters with Nathan Dalton and Brandy Howell. We thank our production interns, Mara Clancy, Charlotte Landis, Taylor Simmons, Katie McCutcheon, Mary Franklin Harvin, and Paulina Hartano. Lots of people to give thanks to today. We thank Keith Plessy and Phoebe Ferguson, founders of the Plessy and Ferguson Foundation, who introduced us to this story. We'll be doing a piece soon about their foundation and the historic Plessy versus Ferguson Supreme Court case. In the meantime, here's Keith Plessy, talking about the power of one of his foundation's projects, historic plaques. After us putting up a marker at McDonough 19, where it exists at the St. Bernard Parish line in 2010 to commemorate the school, the wrecking ball was waiting to knock it down. By placing the marker in front of it, we ceased the wrecking ball. Seven years later, the National Park Service finally recognized that site as a historic place. They gave the Leona Tate Foundation for Change a half a million dollars to start refurbishing that school and telling that history. That's all part of our groundwork. Several of the voices you heard in this story were recorded in 2010 at Tulane University as part of a reunion and panel discussion on the 50th anniversary of the integration of public schools in New Orleans. What an incredible and significant gathering. Voices you heard include Leona Tate, Tessie Prevost-Williams, and Gail Etienne Stripling, who integrated McDonough 19. You also heard retired Deputy U.S. Marshals Charlie Burke, Herschel Garner, and Al Butler. This gathering was the first time the women had reunited with the Marshals since November 1960. We thank Tulane University, Armistead Research Center History Department, Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities, Louisiana Center for Civil Rights and Social Justice, the U.S. Marshals Museum, and moderator Alan Weider. 
For the WSBN archival news footage in this story, we thank Taylor Chicoin and Ruta Ablins, Brown Media Archives and Peabody Awards Collection, UGA Special Collections Library. And thanks to Brenda Flora, audiovisual archivist, Amistad Research Center, Tulane University. Thanks to Leona Tate. You can find out more about the Leona Tate Foundation for Change and their Civil Rights Museum project at www.ltfcinc.org. Thank you, Prospect for New Orleans, the lotus in spite of the swamp. This story is part of our Levy Stream project in collaboration with Oda Benga Jones and Associates, made possible in part by Ruth Hugh Fertel Foundation and Project AND. As always, we thank the National Endowment for the Humanities and the National Endowment for the Arts. Art works. The Kitchen Sisters present as part of Radiotopia from PRX, a curated network of extraordinary cutting-edge podcasts created by independent producers. Thanks to AdZerk for providing their ad-serving platform to Radiotopia. Thanks for listening. It's an election year, have you noticed? But does it feel like our democracy is running smoothly? Does it feel like our leaders are responsive to our needs? If you don't think so, you're not alone. So the question is, how can we start to fix it? Luckily, there are things we can do right now to get us back on track. This podcast is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition, a group of shows, hosts, and networks who are banding together to try and make things better. We're partnering with Represent Us, the largest grassroots organization working city by city and state by state to pass laws that protect democracy and improve it. We need a system that works for the American people, not just special interests. And you can do your part. Go to represent.us slash podcast. That's represent.us slash podcast to join the movement today. Radio Tokyo.